You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello. <laughs> you are listening to Lit Angeles, a special series podcast from the Sky Lit Skylight Books podcast. Um, I'm Emily Vancanet, and I think I got that all right. <laughs> I'd like to welcome my co-host, who is laughing next to me. Hi, I'm Elena Saunders, the co-host. Yay! And we're here to talk to you guys today about um, our second book in this series that we're doing about LA fiction. Mm-hmm. And as you can guess from the title of this episode, we are talking about LA Woman by the wonderful Eve Babbitts. Yeah, we loved it. We loved it. We're going to be upfront. We loved yeah, it. Yeah, this like, you know, spoiler <laughs> alert, we loved it. We loved it. And come to find out that, okay, so this is the fourth book she, the fourth novel she published, mm-hmm. fifth book she published. Mm-hmm. And it was published in 82, 1982. Um, and yeah, so her fourth book, and shockingly, not that, like, none of her books were very well received, but like, yeah, this one isn't even now that much talked about. So I'm really excited to get into it because I thought it was lovely. Yeah, me too. I was super surprised at how much I liked it because I had read her essays um, since I moved to Los Angeles, so like for like 10 months. Um, I've been reading her essays and I thought they were so good and energetic and smart and funny. Um, and I was a little worried to read her fiction. Because mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know, sometimes sometimes writers can write really great essays and then they get into novel writing and it's very, like, self-serious. Um, but, man, this book was so good. So, so good. So good. Um, and we wanted to start just by reading what the book, the blurb of the book to you guys. Oh, yeah. Because what this book is about... We'll get into it. Let me just read this blurb really quick. Okay, I picked up my copy of the book. It says, A very special reissue of L.A. Woman, which follows Sophie, a 20-something Jim Morrison groupie, gliding through a golden existence in L.A., and Lola, a German immigrant who settles in Hollywood in the 20s as a chauffeur for Pierce Arrow, and who knows that Maybelline mascara cakes and Rudolph Valentino are the essences of life. To Sophie and Lola, Los Angeles, though constantly changing, is essentially eternal. Through their eyes, we see the mixture of high and low culture, the promises of youth, and the fulfillment of nostalgia, the quintessential pink sunsets and the palm trees of the city lights. And through this fantastic tale, Babbitt shares, as only she can, what it is to be a woman in what she convinces us is the capital of civilization. Yeah. Elena, do you think that that's what this book is about? If I had read that um, before reading this book, I would not want to read this book. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. It seems kind of precious and boring. Um, it also like, makes like, yeah, it it doesn't tell you that much about what actually happens in the book. Sure, it's about these characters. It's yeah. about Sophie, who's like our main narrator. Yeah. And it's about... Lola, who is, like, at the very beginning of the book, Lola's introduced to us because Sophie 
doesn't want to go to New York for the summer because New York sucks. And yeah. also because she wants to lo- lose her virginity. Yeah. So she convinces her family friend, Lola, to stay for a month with her in L.A. Yeah. No, that does not give you the flavor no. of this, like, relationship. No, definitely not. I mean, and it also doesn't... Like, to me, this book, the plot is, like, the least important thing to me in this book. Because there's not really even a plot that you could explain to someone. You know what I mean? It's more of a portrait um, of, like, what it means to be a young woman and what it means to be in L.A. and what it means to be a young woman growing up in L.A. Yeah, and it's these... Sophie, who's, like, the main character, it's... But it's basically Eve. It's just, like, these portraits of people in her life, people in her parents' life, and, like, them before they moved to L.A., yeah. And then, like, Sophia, she gets older, and it's told in, like, a non-linear way. Yeah. Through time and, like, across countries and across the U.S., and it's just, like... Yeah. And it all comes back to L.A. as the center of the world. Yes. Yeah. It's the center of Eve Babbitt's world is L.A. Yeah. But it's, like, so so much more than this, like, kind of, like, pink pastel-y, like, simple... Yeah, like cutesy, version, cutesy which version like, of LA, which like fair enough because if I had to write the blurb of this book, I would have no idea no. how to actually write it and get people to read it, except for being like, I this is a portrait yeah. and it's really good and you should just read and it. And you should read it. So yeah, it's yeah, exactly. So we'll move on from the blurb. But yeah. Um yeah. So why I think yeah, so like it's a book about this girl and the people she knows. Yeah, um, in the city she's and the lives city she in, loves yeah. lives in, um, mm. and her escapades. Um, so why did we pick this book? Yeah, why did we pick this book over somebody like maybe Joan Didion, um, or, or you know anyone else? Anyone else? I mean, <laughs> those two are like constantly in conversation with each other. That's the thing. It's like that's what's really interesting. Is like you know we kind of have in our minds two female LA writers. And from that time period, and it's... Didion and Babbitts, and they died in the same week? Like, oh, can that too. you fucking believe it? No, I know, and it, well, you know, and from, like, because I'm not from L.A., I never wanted to move to L.A., um, <laughs> and I didn't discover you Babbitts until I moved to L.A. Yeah. So, like, for me, the L.A., the woman who writes about L.A., or, like, the West Coast in general was Joan Didion. Um, but I'm glad that we decided to do Eve Babbitts because I think she's, like, very L.A. Yeah. Um, and also, like, she she has a way of kind of encapsulating or, like, being able to acknowledge both the good and the bad parts of L.A., but especially the good because I feel like a lot of people who write about L.A. Uh, are often writing kind of darker like, about Ellie's darker themes, mm-hmm. um, whereas Babbitt seems to kind of acknowledge those, but also find a bit of humor or lightness in them, mm-hmm. which is really interesting, and I think, um, yeah, so why, so why do you think we chose this book? I mean, yeah, I think we're, like, a little bit, like, Diddy and Overdone, right? Like, yeah, a totally. little not talked about, or talked about enough. Yeah, and I love Joan Diddy and Jessica. Yeah, yeah, for, for the record, we know, <laughs> legend, um, but... You know, Eve Babbitts was a true L.A. girl. She writes so much in this book and in all her books about, like, growing up in the Hollywood Hills, going mm-hmm. to ho- her, like, first story that got printed was about Hollywood High. And yeah. it's, like, she writes about these 
true LA things. And so I think she comes from such a place of love with it. I always tell people when they're like, why do you live here? Which is always the question people ask when people. What I always ask people. Like, and I'm like, and I think in the same way that like, I think Eve Babbitts would even say, or like, it's like, I'm always like, yeah, there's going to be traffic. There's going to be an earthquake. There's going to be fires. Fires. There's going to be shallow people who are here to get famous. But like, there's so much more to it. And I think Eve Babbitts captures all of that. And a huge thing that's interesting about Eve Babbitts' writing is like that she is in the culture. It's like, not to bring up Kerouac or... Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. men, but like, <laughs> it's like beatniky and punk and cool in the way that it like, she writes very much in the scene that she's living in. And even yeah. though it's quote unquote fiction, it's really like this portrait of this scene and it's so alive. And like, you know, she's just like writing from like, not like a base place, but like, a place of feelings, like, of, like... Yeah, and also, I mean, like, she is kind of, like, you know, Joan Didion um, is of that generation of, like, gonzo journalism, like, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, but you don't often see women writing in the same way that, like, um, you know, Michael Hare was writing, or, uh, Jesus, who's that other guy? Hunter S. Thompson yeah, was writing, exactly. you know? Like, you don't see that kind of full full, not even acceptance, but, like, that full idea that, like, women writers are full humans, like, that we don't have to be hyper-intellectual to be taken seriously as writers, and I think, like, I think Joan, or not Joan, uh, Eve Babbitts was, like, obviously from her writing a hyper-intellectual, but, like, was also very willing to engage in kind of lower-brow things and, and, um, and, like, really explore what it means to be fully human, Mm-hmm. you know um and yeah so I think yeah and I think yeah so like within the book mm-hmm. um an example of that is kind of like her relationship with the men in her life yeah and so she like famously has dated tons of tons of men all the men mm-hmm. if there was a man she was dating um if there was a man around she, she was, was dating. dating um but like never with she's so clear in this book about how it's like never with the intention of, like, commitment or marriage or, like, that being a thing on her radar at yeah. all. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's like... like that share quote. It's like, men are dessert, you know? Yeah, she's just like, this is fun, and, like, I'm... This is like, additive. Yeah, exactly, know? and, and like, she loves... it's. She really seems to love the chase and, like... Yeah. To to be adored, but I'm so fascinated by the portrait that she has in this book, too, of just, like, you know, like, a huge fascination in this book is, like, her talking about, like, what she wants out of life, and, like, it's, yeah. like, set around the time where the character Sophie is graduating from high school, and everyone's, like, what do you want out of life? And she's, like, I just want to entertain. Yeah. yeah I yeah. just want to entertain, and I want to do nothing. I want to put on my string bikini, and I want to go to the beach. Yes. And, like, I just love that portrait of, like, you know, if this is parallel to Eve, then, like, that's who she was. And, like, she is out here dating Jim Morrison without a fucking care in the world. Yeah. She's dating Ed Ruscha and his brother without a care in the world. Like, L.A. greats who are, like, 
lauded and she's like, you know, having fun and then taking her art really seriously at the same time. It's like and I think that's radical. where it's like I think so often about how people probably think that this is just like um like men are geniuses and women are just like beautiful by existing and like I think a a a bad I don't know a, people could read this book and just think that like Eve Babbitts isn't talented because she's just writing about herself and what she did yeah and not see like the genius in her work because she's able to look effortless and cool doing it yeah yeah and yeah. like that doesn't take work no I know and that's the thing about this book is like the writing seems so effortless and so like uh just it's just like so unmistakably her voice um and we were talking me and Emily were talking before about like I was saying like, I wonder what Eve's uh editing process was because like that's the nature of this book where it just feels like so off the cuff and that makes it so energetic and entertaining and like not a word is uh like every word is in its place and every word is useful or like I mean it's just very concise and very and energetic like, and yeah like, and the words are like stylistic like they're yeah they're like not words you would ever yeah you wouldn't put those words together naturally you know mm -hmm. what I mean um but also like to what you were saying, uh, it's, it's, I find, like, I forget sometimes that at that time period that, you know, when Eve Babbitts was growing up, like, it must have been a truly radical thing to be like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to get married, or I don't have any real, like, need to get married, I don't, you know, like, to, to just kind of exist mm -hmm. in, like, a state of, uh, looking for pleasure, like, an enjoyment out of life. I feel like for a woman at that time, that must have been, like, a fairly radical way to live your life, you know? And, like, yeah, like, thank God she was in L.A., you know? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's, fa it's fascinating, too, because, like, the, the women in her life go through divorces, go through many men. Like, yeah. they're not without, like, they're also pursuing these men, but, like, yeah, like, one of her friends is, like, I got married because I didn't know what else to do. Yeah, exactly. And it's, like, fascinating. Yeah, no, it's a really, I mean, yeah. No, in that, awesome thought. Um, yeah, in that sense, I guess uh, one question we had been dancing around is, like, what makes an L.A. woman? Yeah, this is actually such a interesting, funny question, and, you know, I didn't, like, for my whole life, I've basically, like, I grew up for, until I was 19 in Syracuse, New York, and then since then, I've kind of been moving around almost constantly, and I'm 31 now, so, like, a bulk of that time, like, seven, six or seven years was spent in Chicago, but since, you know, all the other years there, I've been kind of, like, moving around to different places, and reading this book was kind of the first time that I was like, fuck, I should have, like, been somewhere like I should have just picked a place and landed there and like really understood it because mm -hmm. I have very surface level kind of understandings of places that I've lived um but like the way that Eve Babbitt wrote this book you can tell that she has a real like feeling a feeling understanding of LA mm -hmm. you know like a very visceral understanding of what LA is um and like how to yeah. operate and navigate it like in a way yes. that I think takes 
takes years so of like years. to like understand that you can be whatever. Like, I mean, plenty of people move here with the like express intention of being like, I'm gonna be who I want to be. Yeah, but I think to like be born into that is a different thing. Yeah, and also the stakes for her were so much lower. Like, she didn't want to make it to be famous. Like, or at least Sophie doesn't want to make it to be famous. Yeah. It's just, like, about kind of making art and being adjacent. And granted, this was written in a time where you could make art here and live here. afford to live here. Afford to live here. Like, that's not the reality anymore. But I think there's, like, I think what, like, the L.A. woman ends up being is, like, this mixture between artist and like con artist and like beauty Mm, I like that yeah where it's like you know you're like or like at least like shapeshifter like you're elusive and you're a muse but you're also your own independent person and I think she really captures that and like you're also like in the know and on the scene and like hot and smart and I don't know I mean maybe that's just Eve Babbitt's it's like LA woman no like it's like like even with Chandler you kind yeah. of see that same that same kind of elusive, like a little bit mysterious kind of woman character emerge, and like you can kind of see the echoes of that in the way that Eve Babbitt's or like you know Sophie mm-hmm. Sophie acts. Um, and I don't know that you really see that kind of like sly sly type in any other city genre you know what I mean? yeah you know like what I that's mean? not like the new york woman the no. new york woman is out on the town power power and strutting like, yeah getting and like a direct job and, and like yeah where's the yeah that's, that's really funny like it's really not that and then like it's not just sophie in the book it's like also this character lola who we mentioned in the blurb yeah who is like a family friend and like the older version of sophie and she really gets validation from her yeah of, like, what this life could be like for her. And she's the per- Like, there's this really great part where Sophie's working um, as, like, she's working in a movie theater and she's just yes. uh, handing out tickets. She's like, I love the colors and I love how they're rolled up in these little rolls like that look like, look like film. <laughs> and I just love that, like, yeah. And she's like, and I look beautiful in my little glass box. And people love, like, love to watch me. Yeah, and she's like, it's a neighborhood theater where the neighbors are Jack Nicholson and like whoever yeah exactly and like Lola comes to visit her and she's like Lola's the only person who understands the magic and like potential of this job and I was like I love that like that there's somebody else who can like see that like this is like a like a stage for her to be on yeah not that again not that she wants to be in the movies but like she just wants to be seen yeah as this like embodiment of these things she's so interested in portraying yeah 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 yeah. yeah it's yeah. like it is performance art yeah <laughs> yeah like yeah. this is performance art sitting in this glass box like like coyly shaping her bangs in a certain way honestly that's how I feel when I'm working I mean yeah we work at a bookstore come see how we do it yeah <laughs> just like you know try to act as French as possible just like, like all the time yeah just reading a book um, I'm just reading a book but I love that and it's like so clear that like Marilyn Monroe was such an influence on that as well. And, like, that's the other thing that I think, like, this idea of, like, what is an L.A. woman? I mean, I feel like, and this, again, is kind of an echo from the Chandler thing, but, like, 
there's something about LA where like people come here um, to pursue greatness in whatever kind of artistic thing medium they're they're they want to. Um, and then there's also like this extremely weird proximity to like the world that you're trying to tap into. Like you can go to any cafe here and you'll most likely see like some like ultra famous celebrity just like having a croissant or whatever. Um, and having that kind of proximity is really weird and somehow that taps, in, like, and like you see that in this book where there's like a lot of, um, I mean like Jim Morrison and all that stuff, like there's a lot of kind of dipping the toe in and out of that world, mm -hmm. you know, like there's a lot of um, kind of like brief glimpses that Sophie has into this kind of more like artistic, like not high art, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but, and she's like, in the way that like what happens, I think when you live here is like, you start to realize like how bizarre celebrity is. And then also yeah. how like, so like they're just people. And so all these men that she dates, these people that she knows who are famous, she is almost like mean about them. Yeah, like sh Jim Morrison is just like a, a drunk on his way to death in this. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. which I mean, fair. Yeah, but like you know, she's like on a bashed kind of in like her portrait of men throughout her writing, like the men that she's loved that are famous. Yeah, I think she like truly, you know, paints them as real people. Which is funny why the groupie type, the groupie thing that she gives herself that she calls herself a groupie is funny because I'm like it creates a divide between her and these men that she's with and it's like you're on the same level and power dynamics like of gender aside like yeah you know there is something to be said about like your her ability to be so witty that like these great men that are like let them totally let her write about them like yeah. this and yeah yeah and I think it's just very interesting that it's like yeah, she's able to, like, take down celebrity, but also, like, celebrate it. It makes it very, like... Yeah, not even, like, take down, but just be, like, very candid about yeah. it. And, like, very blunt about, like, the the humanity of the people who we kind of idolize. Yeah, in and a it's lot just, ways. like, yeah. And it's, like, in the book also, like, her dad is a musician, and her parents are from this, like, whole era of, like, Trotskyite, yeah. like... <laughs> artists and like they I guess in real life her dad like did a lot of stuff music like played a lot of violin in the movies and stuff so like he did the like um he did, had like a gig where he did like studio musician stuff for movies and so he did the violins on like in in The Shining when oh, they pull what? back or no no in Psycho when they pull back the curtain oh my he god he does like the violin on that yeah the e -E -E -E. and so it's like the e -E 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 -E. that's him that's Wow, that's wild. That's it's, it's his name's not Mort in real life, but it's Mort in the book. But yeah, um, like so we did that, and so it's like these funny things, where it's like I think if you are a real LA woman and an LA like an LA native, yeah. you like have a lifetime of like touching. Yeah, exactly. Greatness. Yeah, which or makes quote you, unquote greatness. <laughs> yeah, quote unquote greatness. Like which makes you kind of like ambivalent towards it. I'm sure. Or just, like, or maybe even willing, like, less attached to it than mm -hmm. somebody coming from the outside who's, like, oh, I need, like, I need to network and meet all these people. Whereas, like, if you've 
lived here long enough, you're kind of like, yeah, this kind of flows in and out. You know, yeah. like sometimes I touch it and sometimes I don't. Yeah. It just feels like a weird sentence to say. Yeah, but, but it's like, yeah, she spends so much, oh my god, the bar that they go to all the time in this, Barney's Beanery. Yeah. Um, was like one of the first bars I went to when I moved to LA. And which is so funny now because it's like a chain. Like it's a... Is it? Yeah. There's one at the airport. No. You oh. know, like it's like... I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure. But Don't like, go there's searching like LAX for the, um, the Barney's. I Beanery. think there is one there, but like, it's like it's just it's kind of like faux. Yeah. Dive bar now, but like at the time of this, it was like yeah. And I, this is also when West Hollywood was hot, and that's which, like something I feel like a detail that I feel like Eat Babbitts would really like. You know, yeah. that there's now one at the airport. Yeah. So oh, God, funny. I'm going to have to Google this immediately. I know. I'm pretty sure, guys. Fake news. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, um, why do you think that she, Eve Babbitt's had this resurgence? Which is, like, one of the reasons we picked this. But, like, why do you think Um. Well, uh, people wanted to bring her back? Lily Analik wrote that book. Mm-hmm. And I think that was kind of... One of the Hollywood's Eve. Hollywood's Eve, yes. Um, and I think that was kind of one of the major reasons that there was kind of a there's been like a real resurgence. I mean, yeah. like people buy the the shit out of this book, not this book, but Eve all Babbitt's, of the books, yeah, in general. Um, I mean, I, I'm not sure if that's like an LA thing or if it's a nationwide thing that there is a. I mean, I, mean I think just, like, also just that, like, why do you think people wanted to, like, reprint her since it was out of print? Why oh, do you think yeah. it came back into print? Man, because the writing is just so fucking good. Like, yeah. the writing is just, it's unreal. It's, like, so energetic and so concise. Um, and it is so, like, I think right now uh, there's a lot of, I mean, I think always, but I think uh, there's a lot of writing that you read it and you wouldn't be able to tell what author wrote it. You know, like there's not a lot of style, um, not like to not to be insulting, but like there's not a lot like there's not a lot of um, emphasis put on like, this is hard to articulate. Well, okay, but so you know there's what I'm to say? one book that we yeah. both agree, <laughs> isn't that, isn't, wasn't the smash hit that maybe we thought it would be and based on how much it sells, it isn't, and I think it is, we're, I'm not going to name it. No, 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 no. No, no. What if she listens? What if this poor author listens to this? Uh, they wouldn't. They're too busy. <laughs> but, like, it's it's a, a novel that appears to have a lot of plot, but it actually has no plot. No and it's plot. about nothing. No stakes. But yet, the stakes are high, but they're imagined. And well, so it's well, like, exactly. So they're not really stakes. So they're not know? really stakes. And so, like, even though this specific book has not much plot, and I think a lot of her books probably don't have much plot yeah. aside from, like, not a through line kind of yeah, plot. Yeah, besides like partying or like it's almost gossipy, like, like whatever. Anecdotes that kind of fit together yeah. and make sense But together. in general, yeah. like novels these days, and I feel fine saying this because I work at a bookstore and I yeah. know what's yeah. coming out. It, there are a lot of like interior dramas, like it's fighting with the self. Yeah. And I just think that Eve Babbitt's like cuts through that noise for me. With Eve Babbitts, um, she's kind of one of those writers that I could read her writing about literally anything and be entertained because she's so smart that, um, you know, she can kind of, she makes everything interesting, you know, Um, 
yeah. Okay, here's what I okay, here's why I think people are appreciating Eve Babbitts right now is because her style, like her writing is super accessible, um, but also like highly she's an she's an amazing stylist, like in terms mm-hmm. of her sentences and the way that she writes. Um and uh I think that there's kind of uh not much of that happening in the like in the literary world right now. I mean maybe that's not true actually, but like from what I've read of more recent novels, you could kind of put one down, pick another one up, and assume it's by the same author because the right. style is so like consistent and clear, um, but maybe not necessarily exciting prose. Mm-hmm. So, like, but like with Eve Babbitt's, like, you know, her prose is so exciting and it's so concise and it's got so much energy behind it, um, and also so much kind of like joy and like love and curiosity and interest about the world that she's describing, you know? And I think people, especially after this, like, shit, shit, shit fucking two years, whatever, Mm -hmm. however, eight billion years of quarantine and just people kind of being pretty bored and also a little bit worried and scared and depressed, like, this kind of energy of, like, yeah, the world is kind of difficult and it's scary, but, like, Look at how funny this this actually can be. And yeah. Look at how many weird things happen. I think people yeah. like that energy right now. And I think also, I think like when she was originally getting republished, yeah. it was like maybe a little bit Me Too era. Mm. Um, at least it was like early 2010. So there was like the sudden idea that men were bad. Sudden. Yeah. Out huh. of nowhere. Who knew? What? But like... Um, that, like, and so I think there was, like, a hunger to discover, like, kind of like what we were saying before is, like, it's, like, not to mention Hunter S. Thompson and not to mention these men, like, Jack Kerouac, where it's, like, maybe yeah. we're kind of tired of men who wrote in those styles but still want that same style. Yeah. And, like, she presents that style in a way that's, like, oh, my God, wait, women were writing. Yeah. In that era. And, like, guess what? we forgot about that Um, and stop publishing their work. Yeah. Well, it's almost like people want to see the other side of the same coin, you know, like I love the writing of like gonzo journalists and like, you know, the kind of new journalism thing, but I also want to hear the other side of it. You know, like I, I want to see, I want to see myself in there. And it's like, yeah, why couldn't a woman be doing this? Like obviously a woman wouldn't do it in the same way a man would, but like in what way, is she doing it is very compelling and like you it's just so amazing to see again like her yeah inserted into this cast of characters that we know totally totally and I think it's also so important to see like I mean and this is kind of obvious and kind of like a, a point that's been made over and over but when it hits it hits like the idea that you see the way that you might want to write um but also that like your experiences are important even mm-hmm. if they seem kind of like you know cast aside as like women's women's issues like yeah. you know dating which like I find to be one of the more fascinating things to talk about because like what could be more important or like more interesting than like the attempt to find a partner who you're gonna spend the rest of your fucking life with like not yeah. much is more interesting I think than that but it is always cast aside as like some sort of like oh silly women things and men have more important things to do like go yeah. to war and I mean you know and go whatever to war else and they do, do drugs with their 
and go do drugs and you know find yeah exactly <laughs> like, like find yeah. not someone to love but someone to to sleep with that night you know what I yeah. mean yeah and it's like so that yeah anyways I think it's men men. Um, <laughs> men no I just think it's I think it's I think it's it's interesting and it's it's cool yeah. to see that like somebody can write so elegantly about things that in a lot of the like patriarchal culture are cast aside as like very mm-hmm. lowbrow and very unintellectual. Yeah. And I, I was listening to this interview with Lily Analik who who wrote the biography, um, Hollywood's Eve. I have to think about that one and not say Eve's Hollywood. I know we do. It <laughs> we is do it's just time. like yeah. Um but she's talking about how she's like with everything it's like what we can identify as happening right now in this moment. Yeah. So like you know, like, the bad shit that's happening right now in this moment, and we're all, like, you know, on one plane understanding that. Like, right now, we're recording this in May. Um, <laughs> it's, like, like yeah, we all know that, like, the Roe v. Wade thing is happening. Lord. Ukraine is happening. Yeah. Sorry to bring that into the mix. But then underneath that all, there's, like, another conversation to be had, and yeah. that's, like, where the interesting stuff is. And her argument is that, like, Eve Babbitts can, like, cut to that. Like, yeah. with her sweetness, like, with her sensuality, yeah. with, like, her, not sweetness, but, like, her romanticism and, like... And kind of her levity. Her levity, her happiness. It's, like, we are in really dark times, and when these were getting republished, it was early 2010s. I don't think it's quit. No. And so, like, yeah, like, to be able to undercut all of that and find, like, the the layer underneath that, I think is a really powerful tool yeah it's what we need more I mean it's like yeah. that, I mean this is why like people like reading yeah you know and this is why like writers enjoy writing mm-hmm. is like you're getting you're taking something that could be completely surface or it could be made to look surface and going a little bit deeper and, and having a little bit more of a nuanced and interesting conversation about about certain things um yeah it's bleak Um, do you want to share one of your favorite quotes from the book? Okay, so this is the first paragraph that I was like, oh, this is an amazingly well-written book. Um, so it's about, uh, it's Sophie talking about her cousin Ophelia, who had just changed her name to Ophelia from Andrea. Um, okay, so here we go. And Ophelia, when her mother married Tim and she found herself at the age of 12 moving to Watts, changed her name from Andrea, which it had been so far, making herself the character whose youth was sacrificed because some idiot couldn't act nice. It's so good. It's just so good. I always love when they kind of, you know, authors who are so accessible kind of weave in, like, either stuff from Shakespeare or Greek myth or whatever. Yeah, and it's like... And then I think it's like you see, again, the echo of the L.A. woman and this other woman that we don't even get to delve too deep into in the book. Yeah. But, like, you see these other, like, L.A. natives that that Sophie knows, like, throwing themselves into these identities also and, like, yeah. pursuing this life. Yes. Yeah, totally. Okay, wait. What's yours? I'm Okay. Curious. So I had this one um, marked on my post-it as Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> But it's from the perspective of Lola, who is, again, her family friend, who's a generation ahead of her, um, talking about, like, early days Hollywood, Mm. um, when there was far much stuff here, and when, like, the mountains, she would, like, climb every day in the mountains. Right, yeah, And she would, like, walk across the mountains. Yeah. Which is crazy to think now. I don't know how you would do that. No. Okay, so she's, like, walking home from dance rehearsal, 
She said, that morning when she got to the top of Mount Hollywood, she paused for two minutes to watch the way the sun stretched out in the east and made a clear yellow line on the bottom. LA's horizons could be so flattened sometimes due to nothing in the distance but low hills like Mount Hollywood itself. There is, of course, no tree, bush, or flower called Hollywood any place on earth. And in fact, the only two kinds of things which actually grow indigenous to Hollywood at all are either black oaks or brush, a kind of chaparral, which in September, as Lola breathed in the smell, smelled only of dryness about to go up in flames, but at least not of garlic. Oh, yeah, I remember this one. It's so Because, good. like, the dude she's sleeping with always smells like garlic, garlic. and he's, yeah. she's like, at least he drinks, like, some weird parsley tea before we sleep together. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, like, to cut the garlic. But also that line smelled only of dryness about to go up in flames. Like, yes. that's what I'm talking about, where it's so specific and weird but also so like you know exactly what that is yeah when you hear that you know exactly yeah. what feeling like and it's not just a smell it's like you know the whole feeling, the whole feeling. of being in that environment and I that reminds it. me of a line that our guest for today's podcast um wrote in her introduction to eve babbitt's um essay collection i used to be charming um by and the introduction is from our guest molly lambert Ooh. Um, and she talks about this willingness, um, that like when you move to LA, you're like ready to be on fire at any time, Mm -hmm. which, um, is in fact what happened to Eve Babbitts. Yes. She lit herself on fire. Yeah. That's what outsiders do. So now we will take a short break, um, and then introduce our, our next character. Our next guest, guest, Molly Lambert. Stay tuned, folks. We have Molly Lambert here with us. Molly Lambert is the creator and host of the podcast Heidi World, The Heidi Fleiss Story, and The Secret History of L.A. out now on iHeartRadio Podcasts. Welcome, Molly. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I guess we we had talked about you a little bit previously um, and had already also said that you wrote such a fantastic introduction into Eve Babbitt's essay collection, mm-hmm. um, I Used to Be Charming. Because we were oh, just talking about you. fires, so <laughs> <laughs> which is very relevant within that book, of course. I mean, I'm always really curious. Um, I wanted to know like what your journey into writing was. Like, when did you know you wanted to be a writer? Um, sure. How did that um, come about? Pretty early, probably. Yeah. I think I just uh, was like, "Ooh, that would be." more fun than having a real job (laughs) (laughs) and you know yes and no to that Um. (laughs) yeah how did you find your way into being an Eve Babbitt's fan well I actually um it was a friend of mine put sort of some of her stuff into reprint because it was all out of print when when I first heard of her before the New York Review of Books started putting stuff back into print but um I believe it was Emily Books which is Emily Gould's uh kind of like book book service um her and this woman Ruth and 
she had kind of said to me like, oh, you would love, you know, you should check out Eve Babbitts. Like she writes about L.A. She's this cool countercultural female writer from L.A. And and I had never heard of her. Um, so that was the first time I read her was when they reissued, uh, I think, Eve's Hollywood for an online book club. And then it sort of took off from there. I think just people started talking about her again. I was just sort of like, who is this person? Where did they come from? Why have I never heard of them before? You know, and it was because they were out of print. And, you know, but I think I had sort of always been like, where are the hedonistic countercultural female writers, you know, and I'd always loved sort of, you know, gonzo journalism and, and male 60s counterculture writers. Um, so yeah, finding out that there was a female countercultural writer who who was so cool, um, because obviously there's Joan Didion, you know, but Joan Didion is very kind of uptight and uh, not not interested in like her own pleasure is not anything I would ever say about her. So, you know, to read Eve for the first time, who's all just about kind of like having fun, um, was revelatory. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's funny. I moved here like 10 months ago and working at the bookstore is the first time I saw Eve Babbitt's. I don't even remember why I was like, oh, this is amazing or like decided to pick it up. But um, I felt like such a failure because I had never heard of her before. And I too like love kind of the 60s, 70s um, era of writing and just like the, the immense amount of like stylistic talent that came out of that era. Um, is pretty amazing. So I felt like, wow, how had I not heard of her? And then to now like be reading this book and find out that like a lot of her stuff was um, not really in print or in circulation for a long time was pretty mind boggling to me. Yeah, and just to realize that, you know, people fall out of print and, and that's how we stop, you know, they stop getting read. And now, you know, at this point, I feel like, uh, everybody in LA is, is very aware of Eve Babbitts, you know, especially because she passed away recently. Mm-hmm. But um, it's been a pretty, pretty amazing because it's really only happened in the past, you know, 10 years or something that, that she's gotten back into print. Um, and it rules because it was hard to find her stuff before. Yeah. And I feel like so very validated by her writing in the way that like my fascination with being a party girl and like all the time that I was like wow this partying is like so very romantic in a sense and like this yeah again like pleasure and hedonism is fascinating but you know we were only told those stories through like the male lens the male lens and like to see her doing that is really great and I like have definitely since found other female writers doing the same thing but I think just to kind of find that again now I was just so struck by like how smart she is and I was like yeah this reminds me of people who I actually know and like have seen out in LA and it feels very real in a way yeah and I and I think um the way in which sort of like like a lot of male writing is party reporting but you know, I do think with like female writers, sometimes there's this kind of like frivolity associated with especially party reporting, but it's like, that's where all the stuff happens. So 
you know, I get mad when people just call Eve Babbitt's like a party girl because it's like, well, yeah, but like most party girls don't aren't paying attention and cataloging everything that's happening the whole time and then, you know, going home and remembering to write about it. So, yeah, that must have been such a dedicated practice on her end, like the ability to capture all of it while it was. Yeah. Yeah. To sort of, I know, because I imagine she wasn't like going out with a notepad, but just, yeah, coming home and and sort of spilling it all out. Yeah, she must have been like so, like just so sharp to like be fucked up and retaining things and also like having a writing practice. It's like incredible. Yeah. 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 Um, And I also like, I mean, it's funny because like Joan Dinian, as you said, is like kind of like we were talking about this earlier about how you know Eve Babbitts and Joan Didion in my mind now are kind of like the two the two female writers of that generation um but Joan Didion's was kind of much more removed like her writing is much more removed much more kind of like well Joan Didion's also from Sacramento yeah she's not not like she's not really an LA girl she's a Goldwater girl yeah you know she comes from this Republican family this rich family from Sacramento um so you know the fact that she was always kind of cited as like the LA writer never really fully sat right with me you know but then you find out that she and Eve were friends and that the reason Eve started writing really was sort of to to counteract what Joan Didion was saying to say you know it's not all apocalypse you know it's not all just like terrible things happen here and and the earth swallows everybody you know I mean that's not why we're here right like if we if it was all just like of course there's the promise that that will happen but like there's yeah let's and glam and something some that certain something that is LA in between all of that yeah exactly and and sort of you know that that obviously that also exists it's not not apocalyptic here but um (laughs) You know, that sort of fire and brimstone stuff that you get in the White Album from Joan Didion. You know, I think Eve Babbitt's really felt a responsibility as an L.A. person to say, okay, but also it's just a place. It's also just a normal city where normal people are from. And if you're from here, then it's not the same as the sort of like symbolic idea of L.A. and of Hollywood that, you know, transplants have. Yeah, yeah, totally. And we were talking about that too in terms of like how Eve Babbitts is able to capture the whole experience of li- living in LA, like attending jury duty in LA or whatever, like that you will, there's a complete normalcy. And I also like appreciate that about her obsession with Las Vegas also, where it's like, I lived in Las Vegas for a little bit and I was like, man, I love living like a normal person in Las Vegas. And then right. I just get to go to the strip sometimes. Like this is so bizarre and I like, it's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, I think any place like Las Vegas or LA or these places that have such a mythology, you know, and, and people project a lot onto them, but then, yeah, they're also just places. And if you live in Las Vegas it's just a it's just where you live it's not like you gotta Sodom go to Gamora. the doctor at some point like, <laughs> yeah exactly like, you still gotta go to the grocery store like there's there's like a something normal to all of it 
Um, a question- and I love like yeah. the mundanity of like going to the grocery store in Las Vegas is the best. best. Yeah. Um, a question that we asked ourselves earlier that I that we also want to ask you was um, what what is an LA woman then? Like what is this idea of the LA girl that Eve is trying to capture? I mean, I think it's like a cool a cool woman, you know, who is sort of like it's all very west coast to me it's like somebody who's very laid back who's not uptight who you know is sort of aware that the earth is going to swallow everybody and you know lives in the moment and and doesn't have this kind of lineage of the type of striving that you know maybe more european influenced cities have more eastern cities um you know, what I love about LA yeah, is this idea that you can kind of make it up, make, you know, be whoever you want and have, have a kind of like privacy if you want it, you know, that you can, you can go around LA and not run into anybody if you want to. There's this kind of anonymity that really freaks people out if they're, if they're not from here and they don't like it necessarily. If they're used to, you know, being the center of everything then it's like LA is very can be very alienating because it's about sort of like there is no center no person is the center there's no tall buildings to orient yourselves around it's very I I have a theory about just kind of like that the landscape is feminine because it's you know hills and and canyons and valleys and things it's not it's not oriented around skyscrapers and and you know phallic buildings erect, kind yeah, of like, say erect buildings yeah <laughs> yeah it's like these feminine you know hilly kind of unknowable <laughs> um landscapes but yeah I mean I I, I, I think that. it's also you know that can add to the kind of apocalyptic feeling if you are feeling alienated but you know I also I run into people all the time. Like my friend Alex says I live in Larry David's LA because I constantly run into people on the street. And I just think it's like, yeah, if you if you're here long enough, you you will meet everybody and and learn that there's just like 10 people in town really. And you know, especially I feel like bookstores, they've like places like Skylight are just like a big sort of hub for like yeah, there are there's community here. Um but you do have to kind of seek it out more it doesn't really reveal itself to you you have to go out and find it yeah absolutely I think that's absolutely true but I also work in public so yeah I see people all the time (laughs) whether I want to or not yeah it's been a really weird experience um you know living here for me especially like because I hate driving and it really freaks my shit out. Like it just, I just don't do it if I don't have to. So I spend most of my time just like walking around the neighborhood in which I live. And and it occurred to me like how small LA can feel, like much smaller than when I lived in New York, obviously in Chicago, but like that sense of community I feel is really strong here, which is the opposite of what I had expected in LA, mm-hmm. you know? Because there seems yeah. to be so much movement here, people moving here, people leaving. You know, it's interesting. Yeah, and and I think with writers too, it's like because it's like different, it's different than the kind of East Coast competitive literary world. It's like obviously there's there's competitive writers here, but I feel like they mostly are in 
TV and film. Mm-hmm. So people who want to write fiction and essays and stuff like that, it is like a very small kind of tight knit community where I feel like people are kind of supportive of each other because it's like, well, we all, you know, acknowledge that like the LA literary scene is kind of this, like this, this friend group. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, I mean, the reason why we got, wanted to start like this podcast, we're basically like reading a bunch of like famous LA novels. Right. And because like LA isn't seen as a literary city where it's like, but there's so many people here writing and making art and like, why isn't it being acknowledged as a literary city? And like, yeah, I think it's because people are dumb and they can't, they can't <laughs> conceptualize of something being like beautiful and smart at the same time. You know, I yeah. think it's like either it's like, you know, it's ugly and intelligent or it's like beautiful and stupid and LA is very beautiful and so people think it's like a place for stupid people um, but everywhere is a place for stupid people and everywhere is a place for smart people it's not like there's more smart people or dumb people here um, and I think people from other places sometimes it's like they they do a lot of comparing of like well this, you know my city is different from LA in this way and and you know, but it's not that different. It's, it's, it's just a place. And yeah, I mean, I do think it's like, I definitely think its reputation as a literary city has been on the rise for a while now. I think some of the things Eve talks about of just that, like, you know, the idea that LA is a cultural wasteland is like ridiculous. It's like, was coming from people who were just like, you know, well, where's the Broadway theater scene? It's like, well, we have different stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. We yeah. have, like, a culture of mariachi bands, and, like, that counts just as much as, like, a symphony, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think kind of to say that people who say L.A. has no culture, it's just, like, they haven't spent any time in L.A., you know, or they haven't left their hotel you know because it's like of course you can come here and just stay in a place where all you see is aspiring actors you know it's like that that is available too which I think Eve also acknowledges a lot is like if you want to see the cliches they're there you can find them but that's not that's not all there is you know and that's kind of like ironically people who think LA is a superficial place tend to have an incredibly superficial read on it you know mm-hmm. and I think to like do that you would have to have your blinders on to like everything else around you like it's while it's a sprawling city like people are still it's still a massive city where people are on top of each other and like people of all cultures and backgrounds are like next to each other all the time so I think you'd have to be like uber focused on yourself and you'd have to want to see just what you wanted to see you know and 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 that does happen obviously Obviously. but you know again I think I think at this point it's almost flipped too much where people come here and and think they discover it all you know that it's cool (laughs) did you know that LA actually has like lots of great restaurants and cool people and stuff and it's like yeah we did know and we didn't need we didn't need the New York Times to like 
admit it finally. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, for that to be true. Like, yeah. we didn't need the New York Times to be like, did you know they have bagels there? You know, because again, it's very like, it's not a real city until it's exactly like New York. And it's like, yeah. well, that's not true. And, you know, cities come in, in all shapes and sizes. And I think places like LA and Las Vegas and, you know, I'm also interested in like my friend Sarah's from Dallas and I love hearing her talk about Dallas. You know, it's like I think cities that were designed around cars are a different type of city and I don't think they're worse necessarily. Obviously, car culture is bad for a lot of reasons and, you know, infrastructure. We also, you know, we have public transportation here. It's just takes longer (laughs) to use yeah (laughs) yeah but we don't not have public transportation we don't you know I know lots of people who walk everywhere here and and it's totally possible to to live in LA it's like a walkable city um but you know I think with everything it's just like and again it kind of relates back to like the idea of gender difference it's like it's just different. It's not better or worse. It's just different, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just not the same as, as like, f- you know, Frankfurt or whatever, you know, city, London, like cities that, you know, East Coast cities are kind of patterned after. It's like, no, this is a, a, a different landscape and the hills very much inform sort of like the, the lack of center, you know, and... I think it's cool, personally. (laughs) I think it's really interesting in terms of, like, you saying that the city is feminine and then also, like, the comparisons to cities like Las Vegas and Dallas, like, that, like, maybe all these cities are perceived as being part of low culture, which, like, obviously you write so much about low culture. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on, like, representing low culture in writing and like where like you also focus on that so much in in your podcast that you're working on now and like what what do you think is the thing there like what's there that's so interesting oh I mean I think it's just like the high and low go together and you know I think what I've learned from doing Heidi World which is been just like super fun for me as like an excavation of this time period in LA yeah is that a lot happens at parties a lot a lot of uh a lot of party girls see like all the real you know transitions of power and and how power works behind closed doors and and that you know things that get kind of dismissed as like feminine or feminized writing A lot of it is because it's like men don't want people to know like who's cheating on their wife and who, you know, is is secretly an alcoholic and all that kind of mad men stuff of just like, you know, appearances um, and and presenting their image. And so I feel like Eve's writing is also just this kind of attempt to like assert yourself and be like, I'm I matter too, you know, maybe the men aren't writing about me being at this party, but like, I'm also at this party and I'm going to talk about what it's like to be me there. And I think she does an incredible job also of kind of taking the piss out of sort of pompous uh, men, you know, and, and what, what we now call clout chasing (laughs) because she's someone who knew everybody and who, you know, was sort of, 
in the way that LA people are like you aren't you aren't impressed by show business because it's kind of like it's not cool to be to be starstruck or or you know people from from other places are much more like wow look it's Al Pacino over there and LA people you know also be excited to see Al Pacino but are much more like oh yeah yeah we don't we pretend we don't care (laughs) (laughs) um and so I think the fact that she can kind of write about being in this scene in a way that's like not name dropping and annoying it's not like just Warholian like you know this famous person was here and this famous person was here it's about power and how power works and especially about how male power is related to sex and and you know sort of this double elevation of women's sexuality and and denigration of it and so you know I think Eve is this kind of hot girl who was able to get in places but you know she she also was writing herself into existence as this kind of hot girl which I also think I related to is this idea of like well no one's giving me the attention that I feel like I I want or deserve you know so I'm gonna like sort of create myself out of nothing which is very LA to me too is I feel like there's this this lineage of kind of self-invention of you know you know Marilyn Monroe is from LA you know that you can kind of even if you are from here that the sort of uh wanting to be like okay I'm gonna make up the the ideal big projected version of me that I want people to to see um is very tempting Hmm. yeah I was thinking about that concept of reinvention in relationship to the Eve Babbitt's quote that you use at the beginning of the uh like the intro the to the essay collection, the one that says, and because we were in Southern California and Hollywood even, there was no history for us. There were no books or traditions telling us how we could turn out or what anything meant. And I was really interested with in that in terms of like, yeah, this is a, a city of reinvention. And if you're constantly reinventing yourself, how do you have a sense of history? And then I was thinking about that in terms of relationship to your work and your podcast and like uh, your other podcast as well. And this like art kind of archiving LA histories and like very yeah. stories. I, I mean, I think, I think it's with LA stuff like this, like Eve Babbitt's and like the Heidi Fly story, it is like you kind of have to keep bringing it back up because I do think there is because of the landscape and because of fires and earthquakes and stuff like that. And also because LA has a long history of like racism and fascism and, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of effort to erase history in LA and something that really stuck with me was, um, somebody who had just moved to LA said, why aren't, you know, why aren't there any uh, statues or any, why isn't there anything to commemorate the LA riots? Why isn't there like a sculpture or a plaque or anything to say, you know, this is where the LA riots happened and here's what happened. And I said, well, cause they, they want people to forget. They don't want 
anyone to remember that that happened and that the people of Los Angeles were able to, you know, kind of rise up against the status quo and, and reject the fascism and the racism of the LAPD and of the people in charge. Um, Cause I think, yeah, that periodically happens in Los Angeles happened in you know, the Watts uprisings and then the 92 uprisings. And then in 2020 with the, you know, the BLM protests, I think, you know, LA is like Disneyland where there's this kind of false sense of, of that everything is so fascist and, and that you can't, you know, break the rules. And then whenever people do break the rules, people in power freak out so bad and are like, this can never happen again. We have to pretend this never happened. Um, and so I think kind of a lot of a lot of LA history does become kind of like folk history and just like passed on oral tradition kind of stuff where, you know, if you don't know somebody who was there, you might have no idea what happened. And you know, I think to all the people I really like, all the LA writers, especially Mike Davis, I think kind of excavate that history and, you know, are able to show you a neighborhood and say, here's what happened here, actually. There's no sign that this happened here. There's no evidence that anything happened, but people who were here remember it. And if you write it down, then it can be passed on. And so... With the Heidi Fleiss story, you know, which happened when I was was a kid and and made a big impression on me here, um, I think I was kind of shocked to find out it was such a big story at the time that like it had kind of faded out of memory that people who were a little bit younger than me had just never heard it because it kind of hadn't hadn't been repeated as much as some of the other stories. You know, I think when the O.J. Simpson scandal came back up and got a lot of sort of reevaluation and looking at like the effect it had on LA I thought you know oh well Heidi Fleiss that story happened at the same time and I saw both of those cases these big public trials as being sort of like they were referendums on the riots which had just happened a couple years before but they were also this attempt to kind of erase the riots out of existence and to say like okay, the LAPD's in charge now, everything's fine, the LAPD is like cracking down on crime and the cleaning up the city. And the fact that with both the O.J. Simpson trial and the Heidi Fleiss trial, it was like the people of Los Angeles rejected that. They said, no, we still hate the LAPD. We're not going to like side with the LAPD on this because we like see through what they're trying to do, which is to propagandize Los Angeles, you know? And so... I think LA is like it's controlled by a very small group of people with a lot of money and power um, and then there's everybody else and the fact that everybody else has collective power as a group is something they really don't want people to know. <laughs> they really want people to forget about and so you know I think the Joan Didion take on the 60s which is that it ended with the Manson family murders is like very it's overly tidy and it's also kind of what the powers that be wanted to happen was to be like, okay, the sixties are over now. We are done asking questions. And, you know, Joan Didion's kind of a doomer about that stuff. She's kind of like, yeah, you know, revolutionary stuff is going to, she just doesn't care. I think too. It's like, she's not interested in free love. She's not interested in 
experimentation in the same way. She's very trad and very conservative in a lot of ways. And Eve Babbitts is the opposite. Eve Babbitts is like, tell she does get a lot of history in there and a lot of sort of, you know, folk history about LA and about, you know, things that happen that only people, only locals know. Um, and yeah, to record it. Cause you know, I think it's like the sixties, the sixties were sort of forced to a close, not because they naturally were going to come crashing down, but because everybody in charge was like, this cannot happen. We cannot have this. We cannot have people asking questions about power and race and class and everything in LA. That's so completely fucked up. Um, you know, and so Mike Davis says it's it wasn't the it wasn't the Manson family murders that ended the sixties, it was the government killing the LA Black Panthers and doing a, a psyop to sort of try and shut down the black the Black Panthers, especially in LA. And then just sort of again, just like remake LA as this place where none of this stuff ever happened, you know, there's no plaque saying here's where the Black Panthers were assassinated. You know, it, it's they really just want you to forget. And I think that inability to deal with institutional memory is why things just happen over and over again, because it's like every time there's an uprising, it's always about the same issues. It's always about segregation and class and racism in L.A., but they never deal with any of that afterwards. You know, it's always just. OK, you know, forget about this. Here's a. A community event or something, you know, paid for by the city. Nobody asked for for rent relief or, you know, food or anything that people actually need. Yeah. I went to Echo Park this weekend for the first time in a year. And I like was living in Echo Park right by the park last this time last year when all the um or like you know, almost a year ago when um, all the protests happened there and they kicked everyone out of the park. And like the fence is still there. The vendors are still on the outside of the park. And it's like, I like, my friend was like, let's go in. And I was like, like literally like, it was like tense and they're like walking in. And I was like, I hate it here. It's like so fucking fake to like present this park without, like the fence is still there. But like, if you didn't know what was happening, like you would just think it's an idyllic park, but like they're keeping people out still. And it's like- For sure. And you'd be like, why is there a fence around it? And yeah. there'd be no explanation like, unless like... you talk to somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so I think that's all continues to be, to be very true. And I think as somebody who I've been in LA for about three years now and just like trying to wrap my head around the history of this city has been like, I was like, maybe I just got some more, it's going to be more time, but like with every little like aspect of it, like if I think about like the LA river or like just any little thing of like how it became what it is, I get like so fascinated with like yeah, the, it's over. Yeah. It's like, an overwhelming it's, city yeah. to like kind of move into and then have to process like what exactly it is um, yeah and it's also like it reminds me a lot of Chicago in the way where there are like you know LA does to me I don't know and I've lived here not even a year so but um to me there's not like an LA culture but it's like there are so many different things going on um and 
I forgot where I was going with that, but no, I completely agree with you. It's like it's not a monoculture, yeah. and so that I think some people can't handle that because they're like, well, what what's the culture? And it's like, well, it's all these different things, and it's all these different neighborhoods, and they're not they're in conversation with each other, but it's not you know, it's not all oriented around one central part of anything which is yeah. hard for people to like I think understand Conceptualize, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was wondering too because you know this like there is kind of a newly found pop or Eve Babbitt is now like newly kind of very popular at least from like a bookseller's perspective um and I was kind of wondering what your take on that is in terms of like what is it that people are drawn to her like why are people drawn to her in such a really intense way after so long yeah I mean I think just finding out that she existed and that you know there's this body of work and that things can just fall out of print and that you know sort of what becomes the institutional approved things are you know chosen by a few people but I I think what really resonates with people in LA about Eve Babbitt is that she loves LA and she has positive things to say about it in addition to critical things, but she comes at it from a different angle than most of the sort of famous LA literary works, which tend to be written by transplants and tend to be about how, you know, it'll, it'll steal your soul, which, um, you know, isn't, not true like all the all the east coast transplants who came out here and then like drank themselves to death you know trying to make it in hollywood like that's for sure one aspect of los angeles it doesn't not exist you know you know we read raymond chandler before. (laughs) (laughs) well raymond chandler i think also loves la i think raymond chandler also has you know, he's not he's not just being snotty about like, oh, it's different. It's like he has a real feel for what makes it interesting and, and different. And I think, you know, and some of my favorite books about L.A. are, are about what a hellhole it is. You know, I, I love another thing the New York Review of Books brought back into print is uh, Dorothy B. Hughes' In a Lonely Place, yeah. which is like an incredible L.A. book that's completely about how unbelievably alienating um, Los Angeles can be. It's about sort of like the existential despair, which is which I think is just what you get a lot of with things like that and with like Day of the Locust by Nathaniel West and Ask the Dust by John Fante, you know. Um, But I love the things that are sort of more about like, I mean, I love all those things, too. But it's like I also feel like there's there are some writers who write about LA from kind of an insider's perspective and Eve is definitely one of them. And that is what is so great about her. But I think Raymond Chandler too. I think Walter Mosley, I think a lot Mm -hmm. of sort of the, the noir writers use it as this. It's a great way to write about LA because it's like detective novels are about driving around everywhere. Right. And so they all work as these great travelogues because it's like, Oh well, now I have to go to this part of town and describe it, you know, and and I I love that. Yeah, yeah. Eve Babbitt has like a really great way of, um, like you can tell that she loves L.A., but not in kind of a boring way, you know. She really loves like the whole experience of it. 
Yeah, not in like a boosterism way yeah. and not in like, oh, you know, glamorous Hollywood. It's like she likes what I like about it, which is the sort of the contrast between the kind of false glamour and the and the actual kind of scrappiness of everything. Yeah. LA is like a very scrappy place and it is a place for self-motivated people. I think if you get your identity from from being in a crowd and being in a group, then like LA might not be for you, you know? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I I think it's probably comforting for people having that experience to read something like Day of the Locust and be like, see, this is what it's like. This is why I'm so unhappy. It's because it does this to everybody, you know. But I do think it's also like transplants come here with their own fantasy. And to bring it back to the the sort of feminized landscape, it's like people come here with this idea of like, I'm going to become this person. And then sometimes it doesn't happen and they blame L.A. And it's like, well, maybe it's not L.A.'s fault. You know, maybe it's because you you know, to quote the Raymond Pettibon uh, piece, like, you know, I thought California would be different. It's like, (laughs) well, that's on you. (laughs) If you thought you were going to completely reinvent yourself just because you moved to a different place, then like, you know, wherever you go, there you are. You're, you're, there's no geographical solution to an emotional problem, as they say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're somebody who has a strong sense of yourself and does know who you are, then LA is a great place. And so, yeah, again, I think some of the writers that really get brought up in conjunction with LA tend to be these dudes, you know, Bukowski and people too, that are just like, I come to fuck and drink, and, you know, <laughs> which again is like, fine. I, I don't, I like making fun of Bukowski, but like, you know, yeah. I don't hate it because it's not just the only thing to me, you know, but um, I think people like Oscar Zeta Acosta, I bring up a lot, who wrote about East L.A. And, and our and, next book yeah. we're reading. Oh, he's the best. Yeah, you know, I think there's this kind of alternate canon of L.A. writers that has been building, especially in recent years, to kind of replace the traditional canon that's all just like, you know, Fitzgerald and, and Last Tycoon and stuff like that. All, you know all of the books that are, that are about people moving to LA for their kind of last chance um, with this, with stuff that's like about how LA is a vibrant place about how it isn't just a soul sucking, you know, mistress, but also what a great soul sucking mistress it is, you know, <laughs> rather nowhere else. I'd rather have my soul be sucked out except maybe Las Vegas, which I also think is like, should be the capital of America. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, do you have any closing questions, Elena? I don't think I, do. I had one, but it's gone from me now. It's As they go. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, thank you so much for having me on. I think Heidi world, has really been my attempt to kind of synthesize all these kinds of LA literary traditions with podcasting, which was that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to read a book about the Heidi Fleiss story that was all encompassing and there wasn't one. So I was like, I can't believe no one's compiled all the materials from this into one big thing. I'm going to do it and basically write a book about LA, but just do it as a podcast, you know, so that I can be your tour guide. That's so exciting. Um, 
But yeah, I was thinking a lot about things like Inherent Vice and Vineland, the Thomas Pynchon books, which are both these kind of big sprawling. And I think Pynchon is also, I think Pynchon is the greatest East Coast transplant California writer because he completely understands. He he sees how weird it is and he loves it. You know, it's like he understands that it's completely weird and completely different from where he came from. And instead of being like horrified and uptight about it, he's like the person who fully just embraced like this is so such a weird place. The the intersection of all the like aerodynamic industry and the weird culty spiritualism and weird health food people, you know, sort of all of the the new strains of America, the the most recent cultural developments are are here because it's like the end of the the end of America. Yeah, we're yeah. the bleeding the bleeding edge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so by the time this is going to come out in June, so by then everyone will be able to to go check out Heidi World in full. It should yeah, like, yeah. this episode comes out, and so hopefully can people can just dive right into another great LA story. Yeah, check it out, and if you love weird LA ephemera, which I definitely do, you will enjoy it. And I think yeah, also kind of reclaiming the narratives of party girls as being historical documents you know especially just like what do what do powerful men leave on the cutting room floor that they don't want people to know yeah is happening you know especially uh prostitution so you know to look at it from a from a pro-sex work angle was really important to me because i thought that was you know la should be a place where we kind of examine and and demolish old hypocrisies because like why not? We should be asking questions always. Why do people live the way they do and follow certain rules and not others and, you know, remember certain historical events, but not others? Because um, it's because the hypocrisy of the people in charge here are always being put into stark relief constantly. And they do not want people to know that, which is also why I'm hating on the hating ass LA Times a lot in this podcast. They <laughs> have a long history of being sort of a mouthpiece for the cops and not yeah. not a real newspaper. Um, so yeah, I think um, I think a people's history of Los Angeles is the the way to learn about Los Angeles. I yeah, love, I love that. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much, Molly. And yeah, everyone, you can tune in for our next episode um, for uh, for us to talk about Revenge of the Cockroach People <laughs> by Oscar Acosta. We're really excited to get into that as well. Yeah. yeah thank you. Cool. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.